First things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct, Rule 7.2e, requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. My name's Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. I have my friend Paul Ripp here with me today on the phone with us from Montgomery, Alabama, a writer for the Alabama Political Reporter. Josh Moon is with us. Josh, sound off if you're there. Oh, I'm here, guys. I'm here. And um, also, uh, reporter in uh, exile, Range Rushing, is joining us from uh, Houston, Texas. How you doing, Reigns? Oh, I couldn't be any better. It finally turned into winter here in Houston, so I switched my air off and switched my heat on this morning. We had a 40-degree swing yesterday here. Um, yesterday Same. morning, it was 78 degrees. This morning, what was it, Nick? 35 36 this morning it was crazy yeah. um and also the, 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 y'all had a baseball tournament or something going on out there in houston how did that go <laughs> reigns <laughs> i don't know how is y'all sex toy law band going in uh, alabama we'll talk about that too i wouldn't know we're only 30 miles from the florida line where i am um so I wanted to uh, hand it off to Paul. He's going to run over our topics today, and then we're going to get started. Go for it, Paul. Uh, well, we're going to be just podcast number nine. Welcome you to it. Uh, and we're going to get back into some other subjects about Baldwin County in particular after we get into the uh, gambling issue. So I'll let uh, Harry take over from there, and then we'll come back later and get into the what's happening in Baldwin County. So Josh, I watched your episode back in uh back in the spring where you guys uh took on the where you talked about um the Porch uh Creek of uh Porch Band of Creek Indians. Right. Tell me who who is this group um Porch Creek Accountability now? And um, who I understand Senator Gerald Dial is their front man. Um, I've seen several mm-hmm. articles about um, uh, about the dark money behind it. D- d- uh, and right. I'm I'm going to let you run wild. You you tell me what you think we need to know about the Porch <laughs> Band of Creek Indians, and I'll do a follow up. I'm not a reporter. I'm a lawyer, and my speciality right. is dragging things out of people that they don't want to tell me. Over two hours of grueling, Unfinished. right, un, unrelenting uh, questioning. So, uh, and you, I'm a blogger, and and Paul's a blogger. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the only guy that knows anything about journalism is sitting in Houston, Texas, probably still hungover. Uh, I would be if my team had blown a series like that. Um, so, Josh, yeah. Josh, tee it off for us and tell us what's going on. All right. So, uh, to, to answer, I guess your kind of question about uh, who who the Porch Creek accountability now is? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I can tell you that I have been told uh, emphatically by the by the dog track owners uh, that it is not them, uh, that they have put no money into that group, uh, and so it's not their, uh, their little show here. I know there's been some speculation, I think, uh, from a couple of, of I, I, I hesitate to call them reporters because that would imply that they, they give anybody news anytime, anywhere. Uh, but, uh, so th- that has been implied in some places, I think. And so, uh, they, they say, they swear, as a matter of fact, uh, one of them went into some detail explaining to me how they, they had a whole conversation out in Las Vegas among trade show folks out there 
uh, about who was behind the thing, and he was calling me to ask if these two people who claimed uh, wanted credit for it uh, were actually behind it. And you know, I tell him I have no idea. But uh, regardless, so uh, the, the intent of this thing, you know, is is pretty self evident. I guess is to kind of I think there has been a push over over the last. Uh, you know, a couple of years here by a lot of people, not just, I mean, people like to put it on dog track owners because I think, you know, that's the natural, I don't want to say enemy, enemy of the, uh, of the Porch Creek Indians and their casinos. But uh, I think, you know, the dog track owners have something to lose when, whenever the, the Indians are doing well or get favorable uh, legis- uh, legislation passed for them. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of businesses that, that are now looking around at what, uh, the Porch Band of Creek Indians have been able to accomplish through their sovereignty uh, there. And, you know, I, and for example, uh, I, you know, I, I had a long conversation a few months back with a guy that owns a trucking company in Alabama, and he was talking about the uh, the advantages the Porch Creeks have, because they also own a shipping company uh, in the state, and they have advantages in that they don't have to buy insurance uh, there that these other companies do because they are not subject to the same laws. You know, the liability laws that are here because they invoke sovereignty whenever something happens. And as we have seen, in most cases, that sovereignty has been upheld by courts. And so they, they therefore just have no reason to buy the insurance. And so it saves them hundreds of dollars a month that, you know, these other shipping companies have to include into their prices for shipping. So, so you know, it's just things like that. And so I think a lot of people have become nervous over the last several years about the influence that the Port Creek Indians have started to have here. And I don't think until they purchased that Pennsylvania casino, and it was such a big news deal, and people saw that they were going to put $1.3 billion into this thing and then spend another $400 million uh, to fix it up and put a, a hotel there, uh, I think I think it was it kind of caught people off guard a little bit because they didn't really think that they had that much money. All right, so uh, you know, I have a, I have a, all the things I've written. I have a list of rapid fire questions for you. Um, all right, go ahead. Number one, do you know what year the Porch Band of Creek Indians was recognized as a tribe? I think it was eighty four, maybe. Yeah. 83, so they so so they haven't been recognized as a tribe since eighteen seventy nine, like the Sioux have, or anybody like that. Um, no, and if I'm not mistaken, the the, the porch band are, are is not really a traditional sort of of, of tribe like that. If, if I'm not mistaken, it, uh, go back. I don't want to disparage uh, the porch band here in any way. So if this does, just blame it on my complete ignorance in this. But in reading back uh, about some things, I, if I'm not mistaken, the way that that band was formed was it was a conglomeration of a, of a number of different. Uh, members of tribes that had been left behind, that were left behind in this general area once they had the Trail of Tears and, and all of these other uh, Indian tribes were marched out towards Oklahoma and other places. Well, That's I think what you'll I find said. is that they were the White Stick Creek Indians. They weren't the they weren't the Red right. Sticks who took up arms. And Paul, where's your coffee cup? Paul's got my Fort Mims coffee cup sitting here with us. Hold that thing up. Uh, Fort Mims, 1813. 1813. So they were the white sticks, and they hung around, and I believe it was uh, President or General Jackson gave them this 40 acres. And um, up uh-huh. until up until 84, I can tell you, it wasn't somewhere you wanted to be after dark, okay? Right. A um, lot of, lot of uh, alcoholism, poverty, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So – 
just for people who aren't from the state of Alabama who may be listening, like uh, the people in Houston, Texas, who have nothing better to do, um, the Porch Creek Indians have a uh, casino here uh, pretty close to where I live. Um, They're actually up towards Atmore. And um, they have a hotel, spa, and casino there. And because of their sovereign immunity, um, they do not pay taxes in the state of Alabama. Now, is, is, have I said anything? No, they, they, there have okay, so. no, they have three. Okay. So they have three. The one in Atmore, they have one in Wetumpka, which is basically a mirror image of the one in Atmore. Uh, there, there are a few little, things, few little differences, but not much. And then they have a slightly smaller one in Montgomery, just a few miles away from the one in Wetumpka. And so is it fair to say that they are the number one group who is lobbying against the expansion of any other kinds of games of chance in Alabama? The, they, they've put money oh, into the yes. political system to make sure we don't have an educational lottery. Is that Would you say that's accurate? Yes. That's, uh, that is 100% accurate. That, they, they stand to lose. Uh, so like the, in the last legislative session, there was a bill that would have expanded lottery gaming and offered – uh, uh, lottery video lottery terminals, which are similar kind of to slot machines, uh, they would have offered those to a, to the dog tracks in the state uh, to, to be able to play. Uh, they were were vehemently against that, and and basically got their hired uh, legislator and uh, Greg Albritton uh, to go up and kill that bill. Uh, he was single, pretty much single handedly killed a piece of legislation that I would say 70% of Alabama was behind. All right. So let me, uh, you bring up all Britain. Um, I'm, and I'm looking at a site, uh, a, a, a site that lists all of the, uh, itemized, uh, campaign contributions. Do you know how much money Senator all Britain got from the ports band of Creek Indians this year? A lot. 65 grand. The the runner up was Alabama Power Company at seventeen thousand, and you can go back and watch our coal fire power plant episodes to see how where we fall in that uh, in that category. Let but, me uh, let me interject here real quick, Eric. Go for it. Uh, first, first I would present a little bona fide. Um, I have either worked in or written about Native American gaming for accumulation of probably fifteen years. I was an employee of the Seminole Tribe of Florida for a good deal of time right after Hurricane Katrina. And in the past, I've done reporting on the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians and their business and gaming enterprises, as well as the uh, Cachata Tribe or the Cachata Company of of, uh, West Louisiana. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to tell you a couple things. One is that in my research on this topic today, I don't believe that the that the tribal council or the tribal company or the gaming company in Alabama is the bad guy here. Um, one thing I'll go out and say on a limb and say, and I think that you'll find this, if anybody does any kind of investigation at all, if anything resembling a journalist and Rob Holbert and Landyap, I'm calling you guys out. If you find out where the dark money is coming from, you might be surprised to learn that it is coming from the Indian tribe itself or its subsidiaries. Because the one thing the Indian tribe doesn't want is competition. So if you've got somebody that's, that's railing against them saying, you know, we, they, they don't pay income tax, they don't do all of this, 
they don't want any other expansion to take place. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's not them. It's probably the Seminole Tribe of Florida or the Mississippi Gaming Commission PAC. Ding, ding, that ding. Are lobbying against gaming, that are lobbying against gaming expansion in Alabama because a large share of Mississippi's gaming customers come from Alabama and Florida. Bingo. So, Josh, one of the... And I think the money is going to come from there. That's where the trail is going to be. You know, I'll say this. I, you know, I I think that, uh, that there, there may be some truth to that. I think, I, first of all, I would put more, uh, if I had to wager on it, I would put more money on it being big businesses in Alabama uh, that are concerned about their influence waning in the face of the Portrait Indians. Uh, but I will say to, to back up what he is saying about the uh, the Mississippi Indians, you know, this was a this was a big problem uh, back in the in the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, with, when Bob Riley was around, and they were funneling a lot of money at that point through uh, through Ralph Reed and, some, and the uh, Christian Coalition uh, into Alabama, uh, and you know that's pretty well documented. Uh, Jack Abramoff wrote a wrote a book, and at, at the time, you know, after being uh, disgraced and put in prison, uh, and and he kind of outed them uh, there. And there were there's a lot of documents uh, that that were related to what all was kind of going on there. Uh, and so, yeah, there's there certainly the Mississippi gaming uh, interests over there have have some uh, have had some say so in Alabama. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I, but in, in this particular one right here, just given the players who are involved, I, I'm going to say I'm going to put this more. Uh, if I had to bet, uh, and I'm not saying there's not any other you know, Seminole or Mississippi money that that has been mixed in there with it, but I, I'm if I had to bet, I would bet on Alabama business. I would, I would, I would agree. But it's easy to wave a fundraising flag when you stand on the good book in Alabama. It's mm-hmm. easy to wave a fundraising flag when you're standing on morality, and you rally that money to come in under that flag. You say we're not only preaching against the gaming expansion; we're we're preaching against economic expansion, and we don't want what comes with gaming expansion, which are pawn shops and liquor stores and abortion clinics and God knows what else, sex shops. That's what they're campaigning against. That's what they wave the flag for. And all of a sudden, here comes a $5,000 check from Mississippi Gaming Alliance. Here comes a $10,000 check from the Seminole Tribe of Florida. Here comes a $25,000 check from the Nevada Gaming Commission. Sure. You know, sure. And, it, and, I'll, and I'll say this, too, now. Uh, uh, you know, going back to something else you said, that uh, that the tribe is – you know the the Fort Street Indians are not the bad guys here. I, I've never thought that they were the bad guys. They're doing what they need to do to survive. They're they're playing the game the way that uh, that a bunch of white people have been playing the game for a long time. Amen. Here and so that, they're not the bad guys. The bad guys are the people who like Greg Albritton who keep taking their money uh, and and disregarding the goodwill of the people of Alabama uh, and you know and the and the citizenry of the whole state. Uh, in exchange for, uh, you know, what, 2,000, 2,500 people in, in Atmore there that are getting a huge, huge break at the expense of all the rest of the people of the state. So here are the four criticisms I took away from your podcast or your your show uh, back in May, okay? Number one, they don't pay ta- state taxes. Number two, certain criminal activities on the reservation go uninvestigated. Number three, uh, unfair play with lobbyists to ensure their monopoly. And somebody on your podcast brought up the fact that they, there was a lawsuit in Wetumpka. They were going to 
poltergeist there with Tumpka Casino. They were just going to build it on top of a graveyard. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? Uh, yeah. So that uh, so the first two there, I would say, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the fact that they don't pay taxes. Uh, I think that that ought to be factored in whenever you are determining gaming legislation in the state. If you are a lawmaker in the state, you got to factor that in. Uh, you know, and, and what, what was the second one? Uh, the, all the crimes being uh, crimes. investigated. You know, uh, that's, that's, you know, they're, listen, they're responsible on their land for things that are, you know, should be investigated there. Um, I, I can't, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have any problem with, with what's going on there. Unless of course you can show me an example of where some, some really, you know, or some bad things or illegal things have happened as of now. I haven't been necessarily shown that anything illegal has happened that has not been uh, investigated either by the Ports Creek, you know, tribal police or by the federal government. All right. Well, uh, let me... The FBI was put on there for a while. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, the, the rest of the things there, the, the and the final one is at 100 percent true. Uh, they and there's a long uh, sordid history between them and an Oklahoma tribe. Uh, that had that that they had this whole legal fight and it, and it's still going on today over that and if you go back and look at it it's I'll say pretty obvious that the Port Creek Indian leadership lied to those people about what was going to take place. All right, so I want to I want to talk to you. So in Alabama, we do not have a gaming commission. We do not have a lottery. Um, we have all these outside influences from adjacent states pouring money, giving money to our legislators to ensure that we don't have any of those type of things. So I want to take you, I want to put you in the Wayback Machine and take you back to 2010. There was a lawsuit by, by a lady down in, uh, damn, what county is that? Uh, Shorter, Alabama. The uh, Sandra Howard uh, had a lawsuit against Milton McGregor down at, at Victoryland Casino. Uh, yeah. and, it, and it was video bingo. Uh, when you walk into Wind Creek Casino down here in Atmore, it is a sea of video poker machines is basically what it looks like, or video slot machines, and it's based on the game yeah. of bingo. That's how they're getting around right. the Alabama's yeah. gaming laws. So, And it's for charity, theoretically, for the benefit of the Ports Creek Indians or whatever. So anyway, yeah. back in 2010, this lady amended her complaint against Mr. McGregor and she cited where then uh, mayor of Birmingham, Larry Langford, seems to be the luckiest son of a bitch who ever took a breath because every time he walked into Victory Lane Casino, he won a jackpot. Matter of fact, he won $1.5 million in jackpots right. over the period of five years. So that that's how McGregor got this money to his, the, his folks was he, they just want, you know, they walked into the casino and miraculously they won all these jackpots. That's what I'm saying. There's uh-huh. no gaming commission. Nobody is making sure that, right. the, that, that, that the, that the bet that you're placing is based on anything other than a computer algorithm. Okay, sure. Hang on. There is, a federal gaming commission that oversees Native American gaming. And it is the three classes of casino gaming for uh, Native American tribes in the United States, uh, class one, class two, and class three. Class one is just uh, like ceremonial wagering. Uh, Class two are the bingo machines, are bingo-based. And non-bank-based 
card games, so they can host poker games in their casinos. Class three Native American gaming is bank-backed games, blackjack, roulette, craps, things like that. Most of the states have class two gaming, but it is administered under the Indian Gaming Indian Gaming Board. So it is regulated, but it's not regulated like a gaming commission would regulate it. Um, the Mississippi Gaming Commission regulates that slot machines have to have a payout percentage of X, as does the Nevada Gaming Commission and the New Jersey Gaming Commission. But the Federal Gaming Commission for Native American Tribes does not regulate that particular um, metric. They regulate the number of machines you can have, and it's based on a ratio to floor space. And that's why you see these places packed with video poker or slot machines because they're all based on a, on a bingo algorithm. And so it's not necessarily bingo. If they want to rig a slot, if they want to do a whatever they call it, they want to honeypot a slot and have somebody come in and win it every time, you're right. There's no federal law against that. But there's also no federal law regulating campaign contributions from Native American tribes. So it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, if you want to look at it that way. They could have just handed the mayor of Birmingham $1.3 million in a briefcase, and there would be no federal recourse on it. Well, at least but, when uh, he won you know, the jackpot, I, 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 it was The pushback taxed. on that. Uh, well, uh, and, the, and the, the pushback there, too, is that if you are, say, a Republican candidate uh, here and running for office, you don't necessarily want the Porch Creek Band of Indians you know, to show up on your uh, on your statements there, your campaign contribution. Right. Uh, right. So, so that, that and you know, I, I would say I've heard. You know, I've never I've never had any direct evidence. There's certainly been nothing in a in a, in a court case like there was with Langford uh, there uh, to to show that that has happened. But I've heard of of people going down and uh, you know certain candidates being being very very lucky uh, as, as Mr. Langford was. <laughs> Uh, there at, at Milton's place, and you know, and, and listen, um, there there was a quarterback father who was very lucky there, allegedly as well. Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it, it that that you're right. Uh, there's no commission here, and and while you're right about there there being a federal commission that oversees Indian gaming, it's not the same as a state commission that's that's going to come right. in and check you know on, periodically. I would I would guess that there probably hasn't been someone from the federal. Uh, entity there in, in a number of years. No, the Federal Indian Gaming Commission is the actual name of it, and I think they have like ten people that work for it. That yeah. covers the entirety of the United States. You know, they're they're all it's all uh, funded under the old Bureau of Indian Affairs because right. the Department of the Interior manage manages everything regarding Native American property, sovereign reservations, and casino gaming. So, right, it's. Uh, you, you have these, what you can have, and you can look to the state of Florida for this. The Seminole tribe in the state of Florida had an agreement with, with, the, with the Florida House, uh, Florida uh, government that said, we'll give you $1.3 billion a year. Just write you a check every year that'll cover it. We just want more goodwill, and we want you to keep more gaming out of Florida. They did the same thing. They, we don't want dog tracks having slot machines. We don't want casino boats operating within the 12-mile limit. You know, we'll share this money with you. And as of, I think it was 2010, they were cutting a check for $340 million a year. Now, now that's not based on their tax revenues. It was just a straight check. They said, we'll give you this piece. 
as long as you keep gaining out of these other places, and that fell through. And so the Seminole Tribe yeah, of Florida is now just withholding that money. Well, they they, they reached a, they reached some level of a compact agreement uh, last year, and I, and there, there's still some legal fights about it. Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of the same way here. We you know we've tried. The problem Alabama has is, in that regard is that they've gone on so long now uh, with this, and so many things have have been you know fought and in court cases and, and, and likewise, but there's nothing, there's no way to, to necessarily get a compact here that everybody wants and it benefits everybody. Uh, Truly. Probably the best way to go about it at this point is to do exactly what they tried to do in the last legislative session. That would have probably given them the most amount of money that they could ever hope to get. Because if you just do it strictly with the Indians, uh, first of all, you run into some legal problems because there is, some sort of a constitutional ban in this state on providing a monopoly to any private business. So right. they, they ran into that back when they had the, when Dale Marsh and some other people were proposing some things and they tried, they were, Bentley was going to try to sneak through a compact with the Indians. Well, the problem that he ran into was that you couldn't do it because you couldn't give them exclusive rights to gaming here. And you had to then, and if you're going to do it, you had to set up some other entity in the state that was offering class three gaming. Well, you know, and so then they just ran into more and more problems. And so trying to figure out a way to do this was probably the best way they could have done it was last year when they did the, the lottery bill and expanded that, and eventually we're going to work for uh, work towards full casinos. If you do that, then you're going to basically force the Indians into a situation where they have to negotiate a compact. Otherwise, mm-hmm. nobody's going to come to their casinos anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to negotiate this compact at, to, to play exactly what you have offered at these other places. And then you have re- a revenue stream coming where you're taxing it at, at somewhere between 15 and 20 percent uh, at the other at the reg- non-Indian casinos in the state. And then you enter into a compact where they pay out, you know, a few uh, maybe $100 million a year at, at, for their additional games that they're going to be able to get. But if you just try to enter a compact right now, you've got to send that whole thing through the federal government uh, and they're you'll be lucky to get 3% out of it. So, Josh. That's absolutely true. And there's, there's a small part of federal law that regarding any that a lot of people don't understand. And one of them, and this is the reason why I'm telling you, um, I believe a lot of that dark money is coming from outside the state. And that casino gaming cannot, or Indian gaming cannot adopt class three games unless the class three games are already present in the state. So if there's no blackjack in the state of Alabama, if there's no roulette, there's no dice, there's no loose form slots in the state of Alabama, they can't adopt. Uh, they can't buy compact yet. Class three gaming, it has to already exist. And that's where I think the money's coming from that says, no, 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 no. We don't even want a small portion of that legal in the state of Alabama because then the people aren't going to get on the buses in Theodore and ride an hour over to Biloxi and spend their checks right. every two weeks. Right. Uh, all right, that, guys. That, that, we need to we need to move on, Josh. If you would give me your um, tell tell us uh, who you are. Tell us about the Alabama Political Reporter. <laughs> tell us about your podcast, all that, or the V your right, so, program. Yeah, the, the yeah the, that's the well. First of all, I'm, I am Josh Moon, and and I've written about uh, gambling and, and and opinions on a variety of different topics in the state now for. I guess 20 years or so. Uh, most, a lot of it with the Montgomery Advertiser before I moved over to the Alabama Political Reporter. Uh, so we do a weekly TV show called The V, 
uh, the Voice of Alabama Politics, and it is also in podcast form, so you can get that uh, pretty much uh, anywhere you get podcasts. And then you can also watch us on uh, on TV stations around the state on Sunday mornings. Uh, just check your local listings for that. And then we can also read what we write in the Alabama Political Reporter at alreporter.com. Well, Josh, um, we're gonna. I'm. I'm gonna let Mr. Rip. I think he wants to ask you a few things, and then we're gonna uh, move on. Go ahead, Paul. Just yeah, just one quick question that uh, I thought was real interesting on that insurance sovereignty. So, mm-hmm. if, if they have an accident, then you then it's the other party's response, or then the other party has to utilize their insurance. I mean, well, let me. Well, I can, let, let me give you an example of right. one that just worked its way through the courts here. And it was through the, it wasn't their shipping company, but it was their casino worker. And a casino worker there had uh, showed up to work uh, drunk and had a history of, of doing that. Uh, they allowed her to drive. She got in the car and drove and ran headfirst into a young girl and her boyfriend uh, and, and nearly killed them. Uh, but they spent months in the, uh, you know, in rehab and the hospital and getting out. Uh, and the court ruled that they had no recourse to, uh, to sue her or or to sue the casino, uh, for their, you know, negligence in this regard because they had sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So the, the court itself, or for the casino itself did not have to maintain any sort of liability insurance, uh, for, for their employees because there's no recourse. Yeah. Now you're, you're perfectly welcome to sue the, the employee herself. And they did that, but I mean, she's an hourly employee. What are you going to get from her? Right, right, right. I, in fact, now that you mentioned that, I remember that case. The, the only other comment I had, uh, it's a small world, but back in the day when I lived in Birmingham, I knew Larry Langford very well and he might've been lucky in the casino. But in the very end, he was not very lucky at all, was he? <laughs> he got a Rolex out of it. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, but he died in jail. <laughs> let me uh, let me tell you tell you this, Paul. Something as far as the the sovereignty insurance goes, the I can't say this about the uh, Mississippi Band of Chocolates, but I can tell you about the Seminole Tribe of Florida. Up and until, and I'm only going to say this because that's when I worked there until 2006. Um, and I'm not completely sure it's not this way now. The Seminole Tribe of Florida did not pay into the federal unemployment program or into the federal workman's comp program. So if you got hurt at work, you were denied unemployment benefits or disability benefits if you worked there because they didn't pay into that at all. And it's because they operate as a sovereign nation. I was a manager of the front of house beverage uh, outlets there. And we were straight out told, don't cut anybody off because we're not liable for it. Mm-hmm. We don't hold any liability to that. And if we bought insurance, all of a sudden we'd be liable for it. They come on sovereign land, they get drunk, and they go and crash into somebody. That's their bad. And that's the way it went. We were allowed to operate. Florida has similar laws to Texas that says you've got to close up shop at 2 a.m. We were allowed to go past that. We could operate 24 hours a day. We were the number three liquor retailer behind MGM Studios and Walt Disney World. And it was because we were open, us and the casino down in Hollywood, we were open. And you didn't have to pay yeah. state liquor time. tax. Uh-uh, we didn't have to pay any of that. And the people that are rallying against it, they're rallying against not taxes, but they're not even thinking about the fact that uh, Native American casinos on sovereign land don't fall under equal opportunity employment either. Well, as far as the gambling nope, goes. They'll openly not hire people and discriminate. Well, as far as And they is, don't have to 
worry about any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, as far as Alabama goes, we have nobody to blame but ourselves on this. Exactly. And we're letting this and that, political all, influence. That's the only point I wanted to make clear. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the only point I wanted to make clear about this whole thing is I, I'm not mad at the Indians. I'm not mad at, at the Ports Creek. I'm not mad. You know, I, and, and in a lot of ways, I, I kind of admire what they've been able to do and, do and how they've been able to you know, pick themselves up and, and, and form what they have here. Uh, and really, in a lot of cases, the way they've been able to do it is they've used our own stupidity and racism against us. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I, in a lot of ways, I congratulate them on what they've been able to do and cheer for them in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about what's best for the state and what's best for the state's young people here, right. you've got gambling in the state, you've got you've got these casinos, you've got to figure out a way to make it to where we're, we're getting a little bit of revenue off of this, if for nothing else, to pay for the gambling and addiction services, right. if for nothing else. And Josh, just, just to recap, they have a casino here, they have a casino one with Tumpka. They have, um, tell, tell me about the, uh, I know there are two properties that they just bought in Aruba. C- can you recap that for us real quick? Yeah, they have, uh, so they, they have, a, they have in the state of Alabama, they have three at Moore, Tumpka and Montgomery. Uh, they bought the casino for 1.3 billion in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, they have, uh, I want to say it's three properties in Aruba and Curacao. Uh, and, uh, but one of those may may just be a hotel, so it may not be a casino there. But there's two, it's definitely two casinos at least there. Uh, they Gosh, also kudos are, to you for saying Curacao, right? Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> a Curacao, think Curacao. Uh, but uh, the uh, they they also have a uh, they own one in uh, Nevada, uh, and then they also are manage they have management deals with other casinos. If I'm not mistaken, I believe in Montana, California, and Louisiana. Man. Uh, and so they they are they are doing as Kramer from Seinfeld would say very very well. Right. All right. Well, we have a, a we try to keep things educational around here as well. And um, this is a little uh, this is a trailer for a film that we came across. And if either of you two know it all is on the phone, know anything about it, keep your mouth shut. Um, uh, a, a gentleman called Asa Earl Carter. Um, we're going to watch a short clip about Mr. Carter and, uh, nothing to do with him being an Indian. It just, it, I don't know. It just, uh, it stuck in my mind. I, I actually saw this film at the Birmingham, uh, sidewalk film festival. I don't know, six or seven years ago. Um, but really hilarious. And so, then we'll uh, come back to some Baldwin County news. Yeah, we'll come back to some Baldwin County news. Go ahead. I truly believe that Forrest Carter was trying to raise the American Indian image to its highest ideal. And I think that's what made the educational Little Tree so touching and so warm. Little Tree was the story of his childhood as an Indian boy. I started reading it at work and I cried at my desk while I was reading it. I was at a conference at Rocky Mountain National Park and found that The Education of Little Tree was not the book I thought it was. Right here in the state of Alabama, you had a legislature down there three-fourths colored. 
They voted by sticking their feet in the air. Here's the education of literature, promoting peace, stability, and the spiritual ways of the Cherokee. This is a white man's government, conceived by a white man, maintained by a white man. Turns out Forrest Carter doesn't really exist. This is Asa Carter, a man who's one of the most notorious racists in the state of Alabama. Negro can get away with anything in the school. I cannot believe that this is Forrest Carter. Forrest Carter was very, very smart. He knew what he was doing at every minute. He had this intuitive sense about the American public. You know how preposterous it is to, to say, oh, I think I'll go write a bestseller, because if it were that easy, everybody would do it. And, and by God, he did it. Ace was one of the most complex people I've ever known. And you wonder if anybody ever really knew him. Sometimes I wonder if he ever really knew himself. You ask the little children they're being nice and brutalized. I'm totally, completely disgusted at what I saw in the video. I mean, that wasn't the person I knew. I mean, it wasn't even close. I wonder, when did he change? When did he decide he, did he ever change? You know? All right, so we're back. Um, I think one thing that the video did not tell you about was uh, Asa Earl Carter also wrote a little-known novel in 1972 called The Rebel Outlaw Josie Wales, and we all know what happened with that story. So um, anyway, um, Reigns, just for your benefit, Asa Carter wrote a, uh, a novel that won the Pulitzer Prize uh, for children's literature in 1972 called the ballad of little or the education of little tree. Uh, turns out right. uh, he was the man who was the speechwriter who came up with George Wallace's seminal line, uh, segregation today, now and forever, however it goes. Um, and, and, uh, also, so later he wrote this and then he wrote the outlaw of Josie Wells, one of the famous, uh, alleged, uh, native Americans from Alabama. Um, so one of the things I want to talk to you guys hey, about. Hey guys, I, I will uh, I will slide out if that's okay. Okay, well, I, I do appreciate the time, but I got I'm sorry, I got a, a phone call coming in that I'm gonna have to grab. No problem. I can understand. We'll talk to you later. Nice talking with you, Josh. Thank you, guys. Thank y'all. All right. Thank you. Okay, so um the the town of Loxley in February uh, of 2006 approved a, uh, a PUD, a uh, planned unit development in what's called the Golden Triangle. So if you're headed south on 59 from Baymanette, when you get into Stapleton where 59 and 31 split, um, that's what's referred to as the Golden Triangle. Um, in 2006, they had uh, 1,693 acres of residential development approved as part of this project 6,772 homes uh, commercially 193 acres 1,544,000 square feet of commercial space 453 acres of office space totaling 3,624,000 square feet of uh, office space and then what they're calling village is 939 acres 
uh, 3,760,000 square feet or 5,628 units of apartments. Uh, total in this project, open space is 547 acres. And to me, to my eyes, it looks like they just took the places that were lowlands and, and called them open space. Um, right now, uh, do you have that, that image for us, Nick, of stone, Stonebridge subdivision? Um, the Stonebridge subdivision is on the 31 leg going towards Spanish Fort. Um, I believe it, well, you, you, you're looking at the graphic, I'm not. So, um, uh, that, that's one of the, uh, one of the developments that's going on there now. I hope to get a better aerial view so that I can show you exactly where Stonebridge is, where it's going. Um, and of course, our old friend Bowen County Sewer Service is going to pr be providing all the sewer up here, even though it's in the town of Loxley and they have their own sewer system. They can't justify spending the money to run a line up there to get it down to their plant. And, of course, this triangle is miles north of um, I-10. What's typically thought of as Loxley is south of I-10. Um, what you may not know um, is, and I don't know if you can see it on the map behind me, but uh, there's a a large area north of I-10 that takes in the Stillwood Country Club and um, this Golden Triangle. And actually, the people in the in this Stonebridge subdivision, their their zip code is Spanish Fort. Did you know that? That's that's just strange to me. Uh, so anyway, just wanted to uh, tell you all a little bit about the Golden Triangle. We'll be bringing an update and a full story on that. And I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Rip for a few things going on here in Baldwin County. Well, something, you know, that should be shocking to everybody, 6,772 houses, but uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, you've got another subdivision there in Daphne. It's been approved that has 900 homes, and you've got uh, Fairhope exploding. Um, the In in Fairhope, uh, well, let me, let me get to this other one first. Uh, the first top of the news, of course, is the recent arrest of the Spanish uh, Fort Mayor, uh, Mr. McMillan, who on video, it appears, may have slapped a, an, an employee, but uh, it says the, you can't, the investigation was done in the case that included interviews and the gathering of surveillance video. However, we don't know if that video actually shows the incident or whatnot, and you need to keep in mind that the mayor is innocent until proven guilty. So we'll be seeing that unfold itself here real soon. Hey, Reigns, I'm going to need some input. Yeah. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so the mayor of Spanish Fort arrested for slapping an employee um, a little tidbit is the police chief resigned how long ago? Three uh, days ago? Yeah, just last week, I think. Yeah, so he, he's decided that he's going to spend his 50s in retirement. Just well, that's convenient. Yes, yeah. coincidence there. <laughs> I, thought, I thought there was a huge coincidence there. Uh, then in the uh, another thing that is not happening that we expected to happen, uh, uh, the RIP report was... Uh, expected a subpoena for documentation. This is in reference to the writ of mandamus, that article that was written mm -hmm. by Jason Johnson and Gabe Times last week. Uh, that has expired for filing us fi to, to be 
you know, to given to us. Right. So we we don't know what's going on there, but we'll keep you uh, up to date on that because we know that there are a lot of people that don't want us to keep you up to date on it. So that's what we will do. <laughs> and, uh, and and this week and this week, uh, 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 Mr. Times again. Now these articles I quote a lot of them are from Gabe Times, and that's the reason that and the reason being is that this is the Baldwin edition of the Lanyap. So they're trying to look at Baldwin issues. But conflict of interest article again, um, this relates back to the Bass uh, Enterprises and series of articles that uh, Lanyap has been writing. It involves our infamous uh, past county commissioner, the straw man, Tucker Dorsey. Uh, the article is very interesting, particularly when you go back and you read some of the other articles that are involved, but the judge recused himself from the case. And But one of the things that I found uh, interesting, and I'll read you a real short paragraph here, is in September, Norton recused from a separate year-old fraud case in which his former law partner, Brian Barrett, was representing the defendant. Norton's statement of economic interest on file at Alabama Ethics Commission reported income from referral fees earned from Britt's firm of ten thousand to fifty thousand between fourteen and sixteen and escalating between fifty and one hundred and fifty thousand in seventeen and in eighteen, uh, meaning he could have made anywhere between one hundred and thirty and four hundred and fifty thousand. Now Britt later came back mm-hmm. and explained that those payments were matters that were referred to another firm during the time of their partnership, Britt and Norton. So he's entitled to his share of those fees. However, neither Britt nor Norton have detailed anything about what case or cases were referred and how those monies were earned. So. That's pretty interesting. We'll see where that goes. Uh, the next thing up is the relates back to what Harry was just talking about uh, with the Golden Triangle issue. Fairhope is just absolutely, totally exploding. It is, in my, in my thinking, out of control. And let me give you a little personal tidbit here. In 1979, I went to a then British Honduras, and I started a tourist resort down there and diving. We were actually the first certified diving uh, group, dive shop, whole hotel and everything, cabanas. It was like living a dream. There was probably 600 people there. You're on an island. You're totally off the grid where we were. But it truly was something that... Uh, Unless you needed some dental work. <laughs> yeah, you might have to go back to VA for that. <laughs> but it, it was incredible. And slowly but surely through the years, now that's 79, now there's 30,000 people there. The downtown area is just completely ruined. The uh, aesthetics of what was there in the beginning is gone. Thank God the reef is still the same. But I see that happening. I came to uh, Fairhope in 93, and I see the exact same thing happening now uh, with Fairhope. It, the density level and traffic is, is just going to be incredible. Now, there's a new article again in, in um, uh, Lanyap, Packed Like Sardines. And this is a proposal of two different PUDs that are uh, proposed at the same time. Uh, the council has a public hearing on these PUDs, and people are able to get up and speak and I wish I had a clip of it, but, uh, 
people are very passionate about what they're talking about. They have lived here all their lives, some of them, and yet they're getting smirks and laughter from the council as they're speaking to them about their concerns, about the density and everything that's involved. Now, the first PUD was like 100 houses, and they were putting them on third-acre lots. So it's just packed in there like sardines. Uh, that is how it was explained by uh, John Henrik that uh, had spoke about it. The second one, uh, the second one is a development that uh, is much, much larger. Uh, it's 75.93 acres. It's going to be 67 family homes, 232 apartments, and 16 lots. Now, you take into consideration this project and every all the other projects, as well as there's another one on Twin Beach for another 100. You are talking about thousands about thousands of people being added in. The, the thing that's in... Uh, 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 I've, I've, listen to this, Reigns, because I want to hear you answer this, okay? All right. Now, what is particularly interesting with the case in the second PUD is that the um, uh, municipal judge, Haynes Snedeker, and his business partner, Ray Hicks, are the ones that are the developers. So we have to sit here and think, all right, now we're going to come up to final adoption for this project. And of course, this is right outside of the city limits. Now, any project that's ever built outside the city limits, wherever you live, the first thing the developer will always do is threaten you with, well, if you don't let us come into the city, we'll do it ourselves anyway. And you can just stuff it. And that's the same thing we're hearing here. But the fact is that Fairhope City Council is the council that appoints the judge. And all five of the council members have very close ties and relationships with the judge. So now we have the municipal judge who's going to build the largest project in Fairhope. And it's going to be approved by five people that appointed him. Yep. Is there not a conflict of interest there? We just got through talking about a conflict of interest. How can that not be a conflict of interest? Now, let me say that Mr. Snedeker has every right to develop that property any way that he wants. In my opinion, the way that this should be resolved is that he should resign. He should not hold the status of being the municipal judge and go forward with this project and them approve it. I mean, it's just not right. Uh, also, in that uh, same article, uh, in other business, the council voted 3-2 to two to purchase the 114 acres at the corner of 32 and 13. That's for the $265 million. Now, they did this by raiding the city's accounts, which they have spent three and a half years trying to build up. Uh, they took one million sixty-five sixty-five thousand investment savings. They took another seven hundred thousand from prepaid debt reserves, and then they took eight hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars from impact fees. That's what they took to buy a piece. But with three out of five councilmen, I will uh, want to mention that Jimmy Conyers and Jay Robinson did not vote for for this. Uh, it was Boone, Burrell, and Brown as usual now here's what here's where the irony comes in 
They did this without approving the budget. The budget is supposed to be approved October 1st. It has not been approved. We're now, we're now November 1st, and uh, they're telling us the council president is saying that this is going to be ready by November 13th. Why do you think it's holding them up getting the budget? Because they spent the 2.65 on the property. And this is dirt. This is dirt that's not going to be used at all. They're going to cut the police budget. They're going to cut employees. Lots of people are going to feel this for three councilmen to put in a piece of property that no one, absolutely no one, no public participation, no community involvement. And from what I understand, they are trying to close this as fast as humanly possible. You have to ask yourself, what is the rush? Now, before I get into the next little subject here, I want you to tell me, Reigns, is it me? I mean, is it me really? Or do you see a problem between the municipal judge and the city council and what I laid out? You know, I got to say, hats off to Baldwin County, Alabama, because here I am out in Texas thinking Montgomery County, Texas, knows how to police their voters and really get stuff ramrodded through. I just recently posted an article about some flooding issues here in the, in the North Houston area where uh, just across the line in Montgomery County, we had four out of four county commissioners whose reported campaign income for the last two years has been above 80% when it comes to developers and engineering firms who already have ongoing projects in their county. I mean, they're basically bought and paid for. And I thought, that's one good way to do it until I heard what you just said. Hell, get the person in charge of it on the board. Now, that's expediting graft. And that is an absolutely abhorrible abuse of any office, elected or appointed. And, oh, you may be the only one that has a problem with it because, good grief, you'd have to be half dumb not to have a problem with that. They're gutting the very thing that it's the definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face. You want growth, so you gut your infrastructure. You, you gut, Harry, what are the three Ps for, uh, for municipal annexation? For municipal expansion, you want power, you want police and something pressure and you're gutting all three of those to push through a budget to speculate on a piece of land and you're doing it with taxpayer dollars right that's that's abominable right and there's all types of red flags the appraisal was uh, very 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 questionable i was told that if the appraisal was uh argued in court that it would not hold up uh not by me uh, i didn't tell and that. uh so there's a lot of different things going on there but the the optics alone and i want to be i want to be sure that people understand this uh i have nothing personal against uh, uh the judge or anything i'm just calling it like it is it's just so in your face that i'm going to stand there at the city council meeting and i am going to look at five people that appointed the judge who are now going to vote on his application for the largest, most densest project in the entire city and allow him to come into the city as well. It's unreal. Uh, I, I can hang on that for a while, but let me, let me jump over to one other thing. And I here. just want to tell, I just want to say for the record, 
I don't think there's anything in the world wrong with it uh, as far as from a legal perspective. No. No, uh-uh. That's the point. That, that, thank you. Thank you, Reigns. That is the point. And because there's nothing wrong with it in Alabama, that is the point. That's why you have the political corruption that you do at this level. All right, Reigns, I want to I want to jump in here with a different story. Uh, every once in a while, uh, uh, somebody I know actually wins, okay? And so I got to know this guy. He was a firefighter down in Gulf Shores, um, and I actually knew him before I worked with him. Um, he was the one of the adult leaders, and I believe he was scoutmaster of Troop 49 in Gulf Shores for many, many years. Um, anyway, he – the state of Alabama is going to condemn his land and tear his house down where he and his wife have lived for 40 years and raised their children. And they offered him 400 grand for it. He said, the hell with y'all. And he made him sue him. And so guess what a jury awarded him? What? 1.2 million. Congratulations, <laughs> Mr. Delaberto. We need, to, we're thinking about expanding this whole podcast thing. We'd like to get some new cameras and things. So, uh, anyway. Absolutely. Uh, congratulations. Well, well yeah. one of the so last. Good for you, Tony. We, we're proud for you. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, uh, the last thing is, um, is everybody is going to feel a lot less threatened now. Uh, because another article by the book, the Adam director claims that power utilities comply with coal ash regulations. Basically, the Alabama Department of Alabama, of uh, Environmental Mani- uh, Maniacs is what they have been called, <laughs> is now telling us that, uh, in essence, that don't worry, coal ash isn't going to hurt anybody. They got it all under control. Uh, just rely on Adam. And if you remember, Adam's uh, uh, last week, we read you an article in Adam where they were just slammed by the general public and everybody else for their lack of doing anything, which has been my experience for um, years, particularly on the Fairhope issues. But um, uh, some of the things that's going to be coming up will be uh, in our next podcast, we're going to be talking about family court. Uh, we hope that when we have the family court dis, uh, discussions that you have an empty stomach because it can get pretty nasty. We'll be talking about boards, nonprofit boards, and their responsibilities, and uh, some other criminal cases that have come up that uh, we're working on that uh, we won't even allude to yet. We'll yeah, just say that I'm not sure. Coming up. I'm not sure how much time I'm going to spend in the room. So, Range, you need to definitely be on that <laughs> on that one uh, next next week. Um, oh yeah. So I, I wanted to touch on one other thing, and I posted this to my personal Facebook page, and I don't expect anybody else to assume my position. Um, the 2019 Nations Report card came out on October 30th. And this was produced by the National Center for Education Statistics. Um, Alabama came in dead last in math behind Mississippi, who, believe it or not, because they have a lottery and gaming and other things that go towards education, they spend a lot more money than we do on education. Therefore, Mississippi actually is at the national average for mathematics. (laughs) Alabama is actually behind the District of Columbia. 
you know, we always say thank God for Mississippi, but uh, really it's always been D.C. that's been worse, had worse school systems than ours. And now we're dead last. Um, and I'll just read what I wrote. Alabama uh, report card results equals Alabama must spend more on education. Um, nobody wants to talk about property taxes, and why would they? So why not have a lottery? Well, let's circle back to why we don't have a lottery right now, because the Porch Creek Indians don't want us to have one. Neither do the gambling concerns, uh, especially in Mississippi, but any of the other uh, surrounding states. Um, all right, Paul. Well, the, you wrap it up, let, buddy. Well, let me say something uh, about that, too, with the schools. Because that's, you know, that's always the number one thing. And I travel a lot around the country. It's always an issue no matter where you go. But this is something that uh, where impact fees don't cover all of the true impact. Uh, Fairhope is going, is not going to look anything like it does as far as traffic and density in three years time as it is right now. What do you think that is going to do with the schools? Those schools are going to explode. They could start building and never stop. And this is the result of it. That's the result of uh, unbridled uh, uh, building. Now, uh, you know, I represent a consumer group. The podcast uh, wants to hear from our listeners. You have uh, something you want to get up here and you want to bitch about. Uh, we want to welcome you. You got something you want to remain confidential with, but you want us to know. We encourage you to call us and uh, look forward to podcast 10. And thank you for listening. And Rage, you're going to have to go back because I'm sure everybody's wondering what in the heck I've got a leg bone laying here for. But this is actually a turkey call that was made by one of my friends who lives on the Porch Creek Indian Reservation. Many, well, he didn't make it for me, he made it for my grandfather. Um, but anyway, kind of a cool little thing. You take the turkey bone, uh, wing bones, and, and make a whistle out of it. And I don't want to blow it because I don't want the dust to go all over <laughs> Paul and all of our stuff. But uh, anyway. There's so, we, many turkey, there's so many turkeys right around your office. It's liable to call up a half a dozen people storming at your door. You don't even need to call her. Don't even need to call. Just walk out the front door. There's turkeys everywhere. Um, and, of course. I'll it, tell you what. I'll, I'll, round it out, I'll round it out with this to speak to what Paul was just talking about. I Everybody that knows anything about math knows that a lottery is just a tax on people who don't understand mathematics at all. So my thought is you'll probably do, since you placed last in math, your uh, legislature will probably pass a large issue, a large funding issue, not to fund education, but to make Puerto Rico the 51st state so they won't be last anymore. That's the Mississippi strategy. I'm pretty sure they'll be ahead of us in a couple of years. If they did, well, we still be here in teen pregnancy, by God. And how, how about uh, infant mortality? I bet obesity. Alabama's last on that. About obesity. Hey, <laughs> we don't talk about obesity on this channel. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I'm excited about is winter is here. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna break out the decoys and make sure all the weights are tied on well. You gonna come over this year, Range, do some hunting with us? You know, I I don't really hunt much anymore, but I might come over and be the whiskey consultant for the yeah, hunting well, camp this year. You I'll can be you. the assistant camp cook. See, that's the rule at my camp. You can't drink and hunt. I'm the camp cook. If you touch a beer, you're the assistant camp cook, and you have to do whatever I say. So <laughs> so usually we uh, – and that's why we like to duck hunt because it's all over with at 8, 
eight fifteen, and and we can get to uh, the serious. Well, I might file my own writ of mandamus on that particular ruling, there, Chef. So, <laughs> we'll see. All right, guys. Well, um, I think this was a good one, right at an hour. Um, Nick, we good? All right. Well, Paul, uh, Reigns, I'll see y'all next time. Thanks for participating. Sounds good. Thank you. Walk it out.